Good morning, church. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Just take a, a minute. I understand we had some technical difficulties uh, at the beginning of service. So Mrs. Bond, if you are watching us, just know your son recited the most beautiful Mother's Day poem ever. So if you get a chance, ask him to say it. As a matter of fact, any, anybody watching, Tim Bond, Tim at CalvaryWestHills.org, just say, hey, when you get a chance, send me a video of your Mother's Day poem. It was beautiful. Um, due to time, I can't have you come back up, Tim. I'm sorry. But um, it was really good. But yeah, I guess we had some technical difficulties. But anyway, happy Mother's Day to all of you out there. Um, go ahead and turn or click on your Bibles to Acts. We're going to continue uh, our series, our study of looking at what it means to be a witness for Jesus to everyone, everywhere. The last several weeks, we've looked at traits of a witness. We talked about someone who's empowered by God, someone who's living in godly community, someone who remains faithful to God, somebody that is led by God. And these are some of the the traits that we've been looking at. Today, we're going to do a little turn. We're going to make a little shift this morning. And for the next several weeks, we're going to be making some practical application. We're going to be talking about how to uh, be a witness and what are some of the things we need to do to be a witness. Right? We know that we are a witness to everyone everywhere with our deeds and our words. And so these next several weeks, we're going to be looking at what that actually means. We're going to be looking at specific situations that we see in Scripture so we can see what we have to learn uh, about how to be a witness. Today, we're going to be looking at how to be a witness when facing opposition. And this is kind of funny. I had a, a pastor friend of mine who said, you know, the, the scriptures are so relevant for today that I don't need to like preach on special topics when they come up because every time I find myself preaching through the Bible, when we come to special days or Mother's Days or some special holiday, it seems that there's always a truth that is very, very applicable to that day. I have to tell you, I was quite amazed when I was doing my study today that I could see that the encouragement for witnessing to oppositions is actually very, very similar to the encouragement that mothers need on Mother's Day. So I thought that was funny, and that was a little overlap, so happy Mother's Day. You get a sermon on sharing Jesus when people don't want you to. And so uh, we're going to be talking about that today. We know that when we talk about opposition, we talk about sharing the gospel, we usually get fearful. We become very afraid. We become uh, uh, fearful of failing. Maybe we're not going to say the right things. We become fearful of what that person might say back to us. And we become fearful of maybe even what that person might do to us. But the truth is, is that our witness is really a reflection of our trust in Jesus. One of the most fearful situations that a witness could be in is trying to witness, is trying to share the gospel with somebody who opposes the cross. And today we're going to look at what Stephen can teach us about being a trusting witness. But before we get into this passage, I want to meet Stephen. I want to talk about Stephen. And while he is most remembered for uh, giving his life for the gospel, you remember he was the first recorded martyr in Scripture, we should remember that he first lived his life for the gospel. His desire to follow Jesus manifested itself in his love and his desire to serve others. We first meet, oops, we first meet Stephen in Acts chapter 6. 
Right? He was chosen by the elders of the local church to help manage food distribution to uh, the widows, to help care for the widows in the early church. He served with Philip. That was the man that we met last week that would go on to Samaria and then go on to the Ethiopian eunuch and lead him to Christ. And this was Philip the evangelist. He was one of the seven. This wasn't Philip the uh, apostle that was one of the original disciples of Jesus, but actually Philip the evangelist is who we looked at last week. In Acts chapter 6, we are introduced to Stephen, and it says that he is a man of good repute, that he was full of the spirit and of wisdom. It says that Stephen was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. From the beginning, from the very first time that we are introduced to Stephen as a witness, he gives us an example of what a witness for Jesus should be. And in this passage today, we're going to look at how Stephen was a witness to those who opposed the cross of Jesus. So I'm going to read for you a passage today. We're going to begin in verse 8 of chapter 6. And Scripture says this, beginning in verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogues of the freedman, as it was called, and of the Syrian, um, sorry, the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. To better understand the lessons that we can learn from Stephen, we need to first make sure that we understand the situation. And oftentimes when we read this passage, we think that this was a single moment, that this just happened really quick, that Jesus, or excuse me, that Stephen spoke talked the gospel, that he spoke the gospel, that they got mad and said some words to him, and then they put their hands on him, and they brought him to the council, and that he was tried before the same council that a few months earlier Jesus was tried to in. But when we look at the Greek, we see that Luke used a tense of the verb for disputed. It's found in verse 9, and this indicates that this, these discussions, that they happened over a long period of time, a continued over a period of time. So there was multiple debates, maybe several days or even weeks where they were having these debates with one another. And Stephen had many debates and discussions with the people from the synagogues of the freedmen. And while scholars right now, they debate on if the synagogue of the freedmen, was it one synagogue or was it multiple synagogues? Somewhere up to about four, they may think. Um, That's not important. The number of synagogues isn't as important as to who Stephen was witnessing to, who was Stephen talking to. And no matter how many synagogues there were, these were all the same type of people. These were all former slaves with a Jewish heritage. Chances are their families became slaves after a Roman siege of Jerusalem in 63 B.C. This led to the Jewish dispersa throughout the Roman territories where Jewish families were taken all over the Roman Empire. And at this point now, as this 
we're looking at maybe 70 or 80 years later, a lot of these freed slaves have made their way back to Jerusalem to live or maybe just to worship in the heart of their ancestral faith center, to come back to Jerusalem and worship there. And now as they get there, there's this man named Stephen. He's challenging all their religious practices. He's challenging the the very foundation of their faith and their lifestyles that they have worked so hard to return to. The Jews that remained in Jerusalem, they they saw these Jews that were now coming back, these former slaves as second-class citizens because many of them left, not because of their own choice, but they were taken away and they come back to Jerusalem and a lot of the Jews that had remained there see them as second-class citizens. And as we study this passage, there's many scholars out there that believe that the freedmen of synagogues were opposing Stephen so strongly to help them gain status in Jerusalem among the other Jews. And these men that Stephen was debating with, they're not your your run-of-the-mill hooligans. These were actually leaders of the freedmen synagogues. And many of them um, were leaders of the synagogues in their hometowns that had traveled here to Jerusalem. There is more than a reasonable chance that a man named Saul, a Jew zealous for God and born in Tarsus and educated at the feet of some of the best Pharisees, a well-respected Pharisee and, and a leader. He was an expert of the law. There's a good possibility that this man was also involved in these debates, that this man was challenging the things that Stephen was saying. And if it wasn't hard enough to have these debates with people who not only knew the law but had most of it memorized, that they had dedicated their lives to studying the law, they had dedicated their lives to studying the prophets and the history of Israel, Now these same people were making up lies about you. They were changing the playing field. Scripture tells us that these opponents, they got together and they bore false witness about Stephen. They bore false witness about the things that he was saying. And it's unclear why Luke refers to them as false witnesses. It may have been because their stories didn't align with one another, that they didn't hold up to cross-examination. And this was similar that we see in the, the Gospel of Mark when Jesus was being tried and you saw that their arguments didn't align with each other. However, it's also they can be considered false witnesses because they were challenging the very spokesperson of God. And since God is truth, if we challenge what God is saying, we become or they become false witnesses. And when we look at this, we see that Steve, Stephen is not opposed for his ethnicity He's not opposed for his character or his conduct. He is strictly being opposed and strictly being rejected because of his embrace of Christianity and his love for Jesus. And let's be honest here. Um, There's many Christians out there that try to take on blame and say, oh, it's because I'm a Christian. That's why these people don't like me. Well, I used to say that, but then I realized it's just because I'm a jerk. Right? It's just because I'm not acting in line with Scripture. It had nothing to do with me preaching the gospel message. It had everything for me not following and walking and being like Jesus. And Stephen, he's not being opposed for any of this. He's not being opposed for any of his character or conduct. Stephen is being attacked for no other reason than his proclamation of the gospel of Jesus for being a witness of Jesus, for trying to make sure that everyone everywhere knows the name of Jesus. 
And as we tell the good news that Christ is the Savior of sinners, and as we stand on that truth, we must be prepared to face opposition. Scripture tells us that we will face opposition. So to help get ready, I just want to look at this passage and see if we can look at three things that Stephen teaches us to help us about trusting Jesus when we are being a witness to those who oppose the cross. And the first thing that we see in here is that when being a witness to opposition, we must trust Jesus works through me. I remember several years ago, I can't remember if it was 2008 or 9 or 10, but some years ago, gosh, that sounds like a long time ago. Wow, that was like just yesterday, yesterday. But uh, it was 10 years ago, 10 or 15 years ago, we were at the Nubian Mission Conference in East Africa. And there was a bunch of pastors and missionaries from all over the world, from Europe and America and Asia and, and the African continent, South Africa. And there was a man from the U.S. that had lived there for years. And it is, this country was uh, in the middle of civil war, and for years and years, this man would go from community to community during the civil war, and he was teaching the young men and women how to read and write. And when he was doing that, he was sharing Jesus with them. And not only had he taught countless youth to read and write, but the Lord used him to bring hundreds to salvation. But even greater than that, the other thing that the Lord did is he used this man to disciple a core of what he was calling chaplains, of men of the Bible, people that were loving Jesus and loving their community. And when communities had to move around because of the Civil War, when, when all villages were wiped or burned and the families left, there would be a chaplain, a pastor that would go with that family and care for them and love them. And this was amazing. Here this single man God had used to train countless missionaries, to train countless pastors or countless chaplains. And I remember when we were sitting there at lunch, a man that was sitting next to me asked this gentleman, he said, how, how do you do that? How can we minister to others the same way that you are? I'll never forget what this man said. When he looked over at that man, he said, this is what you do. You do the things that you would do if you actually believe that God works through you. Right? You want to see God work through you? Then you need to do things that require God to work through you. I thought, ouch, right? That's, that's kind of direct to this other missionary who traveled across the world to bring the gospel. But then I started getting convicted. How many times do I feel like God's telling me to do something and I lay out my plans and the first question I ask is, can I do this? Right? Is this within my power to accomplish? Or do I need God to open up these doors for me? And when I say this, this is not a license to do what you want and then blame God that you don't become the rock star that you think you should be. That's not what this is saying at all. This is actually a challenge to seek God's heart and to know him and entrust him to work through you to accomplish his mission. But you have to know him and seek him for that to happen. In the New Testament, we see that grace refers to the unmerited, unlimited riches of God poured upon us through Christ. Grace is God's enabling of care and it, help, it helps us as a gift of the Holy Spirit. We also see that power is the result of the presence of God's Spirit. And Jesus promised us that I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. His power was not some physical strength or worldly knowledge or influence. 
but he was talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus spoke to the disciples the, the night before his crucifixion, if you remember this, this is at the end of his ministry, and just start thinking back to the things that you saw Jesus do in his ministry. You saw Jesus uh, healing the sick. You saw Jesus giving sight to the blind. You saw Jesus helping the lame man walk. You even saw Jesus raise people from the dead. And if you remember what Jesus said to his disciples, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And he was saying, when the Holy Spirit comes on to you, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be able to do all of these works and then some. And when Jesus went to the Father, he sent his Spirit upon us and his witness, and it is in the Spirit of God that confirms the word of God with signs and wonders through the works of his witnesses. As you allow God to direct your life, those around you, they will see God at work through you in ways that you can't even imagine, that you can't even plan for, that there's no way you could do on your own, but as God is working through you, people will see God. When we are loving God and living like Jesus, it is amazing at the work that he will do through you for him. Stephen's trust in Jesus to work through him led to an others-oriented, Christ-centered life. It wasn't shaken by the opposition. When people would come and people would fight and people would debate, his life was centered on Christ. He did not fear, but he spoke the word of Jesus. Church, it is amazing what wonders and signs God will do around you if you, like Stephen, trust that God will work through you. And the second thing we need to do is we, when being a, a witness to opposition, we must trust Jesus will give us words and wisdom. This was actually in real conversations when we talk about words and wisdoms because I don't know about you, but for me, it seems like the only time nobody can withstand my words or wisdom is when I am in the shower. It is at that point that God gives me all the words for every argument that I have ever been in. And I sit there. I can win any argument in the shower. And maybe some of you, it's when you're having your cup of coffee or maybe it's when you're relaxing. But somehow it's in the shower. I always know the right thing to say and the things that I should have said in that last conversation. And I think that's because when I'm in the discussion, and it doesn't even have to be a hostile discussion. It could just be a discussion, a a debate. I'm searching for my own thoughts, my own ideas, and my own knowledge. That it's not until I get into the shower that I think, hey, I should have asked what Jesus would say here. That I should have seeked what Jesus' words and wisdom would be in that situation. Somehow I get it in my brain that I can do it better myself. Somehow I get it in my brain that I can do this just fine without Jesus, and I try to have those debates. And then later I find myself in the shower, I'm crying out to God, asking for words of wisdom, asking for uh, the right thing that I should have said, and amazingly enough, he showers me with all of the best arguments in the world. But it's there when I ask and I expect and I trust God to give them. And it's in this mist of opposition that we see Stephen turn the promise of Jesus. He trusted in this promise that he found in Luke 21. And Jesus said, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And as Stephen was sitting there before the council and he was speaking the words, no one could match or resist Stephen's wisdom and power that was given to him by God. 
And we see throughout Scripture that wisdom is used in different ways and it carries different meanings. But here it carries the idea of insight. Just as we see in Ephesians 1 where Paul prays regarding the spirit of wisdom and of revelation of the knowledge of him. Stephen was talking about him. He was talking about the life and the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus. And he was saying it with power and authority and clarity and confidence because he trusted Jesus. He trusted the promise of Jesus that he would give him wisdom in his mouth, which no one would be able to withstand or contradict. And when we listen to this, we have to remember that this does not mean that everyone will give their life to Jesus. We know that those people that Stephen was talking to, not all of them gave their life to Jesus. It doesn't mean that thousands came to faith like we saw in Samaria. It doesn't mean people will even love you. We're not going to cover it today, but if you keep reading, we see that Stephen goes on to give one of the longest sermons in the Bible outside of some of Jesus's, and at the end of it, he got stoned and killed. So not everybody is going to like you, but here's what happens. Here's what it does mean. It means that God will give you the perfect words and a pouring of wisdom to accomplish his will, and no one will be able to resist the will of God. As I mentioned before, Saul, we know that at least one of those people that was standing there, that was watching, he was even holding coats of those who threw stones at Stephen. We know that he would eventually learn what it means to suffer for the name of Jesus himself. None of us know how impacted Saul was, and Saul would later become Paul. We don't know how impacted he was by the words of Stephen. But what we do know is that Paul was used by God to spread the gospel throughout the known world of that time. And we know today Paul's words are still being used to transmit the gospel all over the world. And here's the beauty of all this. We don't have to wait to get into the shower. We don't have to wait till the next day when we're in our car. We don't have to wait till the next morning when we're drinking coffee to have God give us the words of wisdom. His promise is good all of the time. And when we are standing there facing opposition and we just pray to God and speak and ask and request for his words and wisdoms, God is faithful to his promise. But like Stephen, we just have to trust that God will give us words and wisdoms when we are facing opposition. He can and he will do it for you. He promised. The last thing is that when we are being a witness to opposition, we must trust Jesus will be glorified in our walk. And we see in verse 10, or excuse me, verse um, 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face and was like the face of an angel. We don't know exactly what this means, but there was apparently some visible manifestation of the glory of God on his face. It was not even necessary for Stephen to respond to all of their, their debates, all of their arguments. He didn't have to respond, and he was still a witness to God. The very glow on his face told everybody that he was God's. In the New Testament, this is a unique description. We don't see anybody else being described in the New Testament as having the face of an angel. It implies that Stephen had the appearance of one that was inspired by a touch with God, that had interacted with God, that was in relationship with God, that was reflecting God's glory. And certainly the members of the Sanhedrin, certainly the members on those council that were familiar with the Old Testament, they would remember and recall Moses' shiny face. In Exodus, it tells us when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, 
with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. And as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. And while the false witnesses accused Stephen of blasphemy against God and Moses, God's glory shined through Stephen's face. And God was saying, this man is not against Moses. He is like Moses. He is my faithful witness. Church, it is too often that when we go through opposition, there are incredible opportunities to reflect the glory of God. In 2015, fires swept through the hills south of here. They were down towards San Diego. And in the valley of some of those hills was a spiritualist community. It was completely wiped out. There were 60-something homes that were burned to nothing more than piles of ash. And there was tensions between the county and this little community over how to clean it up. Many disaster relief organizations, they didn't want to touch it because it was dangerous. There was nothing there that was built to code. There was unmarked septic tanks all over the place. And the community wasn't real friendly to outsiders. Not only that, they were very outspoken to to Jesus. They were opponents of Jesus. They wanted nothing to do with religious organizations that wanted to come in and help them. However, California Southern Baptist Disaster Relief set up a time to meet and to offer hope to this community, offer help to this community. And I remember I got to go with this man named Mike that was the leader of the the disaster relief movement in Southern California, disaster relief um, ministry. And we go in there and we meet, and I'm not even going to make this up to you. We met with the association director. She was, described herself as a witch. She had a wooden cane, and she walked with a little limp, and she literally had a black cat that was doing like figure eights through her feet as she walked. And I thought, oh, this is not going to go well. <laughs> this, this is not going to go well. And as Mike told her how we could help her, she took every opportunity she could to attack and to mock Jesus. And Mike just kept telling her in a calm and loving way, and he praised Jesus throughout the conversation, told her how we could help. And then she said, well, I have to talk to the rest of the association council before I can give you an answer. So just wait right here. And then I don't know where these people came from, but they all like showed up, and they stood over on the other side of the room and stared at us while they were talking, so we knew they were talking about us. It was very, very creepy. There wasn't anything there that I liked about it. And I was hopeful that in just a few minutes they were going to tell us to leave because I could tell by their faces they didn't want us there. And so I said, okay, we're going to get ready to leave. There won't be a problem. And then the worst thing happened. They came up, and to my surprise, they said, yeah, we'd love for you guys to come help us. And I thought, for three weeks, i got to stay here. (laughs) That was the first thing that I thought. And I remember they looked at Mike, and they said, yes, we agree, because he has such a powerful spirit that he is radiating that we want him here to help us. And I looked over at Mike. I know Mike. I didn't see a power spirit. But they saw something there. It took us three weeks to clean up this area. And in three weeks, we went from members of the community as we showed up with our shovels and our trash cans and our bins to literally standing in these what were streets at one time just staring at us and just mad dogging us. And it was just super uncomfortable. And then a couple days into it, they made us lunch and like would drop it off in the corner like we were animals. They'd throw it out the car. And then... By the end of three weeks, we were sitting around tables with the community, and we were, had so many opportunities to share Jesus. They were asking us about Jesus. I do know that in that community, several of them started attending the local church that was hosting us for the cleanup. 
It was amazing. We had so many opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. And when we go back to this passage, we see that following this passage, Stephen had the opportunity to share the gospel with all the religious leaders. Right? He stood outside and he's preaching the gospel. And guess what? More and more and more people are coming and hearing the words of Jesus. And Stephen's daily walk, his daily trust in God allowed him to be a witness to the opposition in this circumstance. And church, when we follow Stephen, when we are witnesses, we don't need to fear opposition. We just need to trust Jesus and look for opportunities. And as I was writing this, I actually put this down this morning because I was thinking of opportunities that I've seen in our church, opportunities that I have seen lately where people took opposition and instead of running in fear, they looked for opportunities and they shared the gospel of Jesus. We have a member in this church who put a Bible verse on their desk knowing it would draw opposition, right? Their daughter actually gave it to them and they're like, nope, not going on my desk. But they ended up putting it on their desk and they've had the opportunity to share and tell people about Jesus, right? They knew it would draw opposition, but trusting God to provide opportunities, they did it. We had someone else that gave their father a Bible, and he asked him to read it with him. And he knew that his father does not like Jesus. His father did not like this man going to church. And his father said, you are wasting your time. And this son got a Bible, gave it to his dad, and said, Dad, I'm going to be reading through this. I'd love for you to read through it with me. They are now going through the book of Luke together. Another guy started asking people at work how he could be praying for them. And time and time and time again, he was just met, met with ridicule and people making fun of him, and people saying, hey, no thanks, I got an eraser I can pray to, I don't need your God. And he kept asking and asking and asking. And now, about two years after he started, he holds a Bible study before the office opens, and there's about 25 people from the office attending and studying the Word of God together. And here's one for you. Here's a Mother's Day example. There was a mother and notoriously had a wayward youth. He famously pursued all uh, manner of, of hedonistic delights. Ultimately, he had a mistress who bore him a son. He completely opposed the faith of his mother. Instead, he was flirting with paganism and these different cultic practices in his life. He tried so hard to oppose his mom and to tell her to stop messing with that crazy religion that you're doing. And as a matter of fact, due to his mom's persistence, he ended up running away from home. His mom kept going after him and after him. After 17 years of running and opposing his mother's witness, Augustine came to know Christ. Augustine, Augustine, the famous Augustine, not only was he a pastor, but he's one of the most brilliant theological minds from the last 2,000 years. The books that he wrote, the prayers that he wrote, they are still being used today. God has still used Augustine to impact the world today. Where so many people saw opposition, if you go and you read his story, you saw time after time, priests and religious leaders just went away from Augustine because he was worthless. He wasn't going to be any good. And his mother, where she saw opposition, she saw an opportunity, and God used it to literally get the gospel to all parts of the known world at that time and is still using Augustine's teachings and his theological uh, essays to reach parts unknown. 
When we trust Jesus, we have nothing to fear when, when we are faced with opposition. We only have opportunities. Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus? Have you ever taken a moment and just marked that time in history, the time that you said, I trust Jesus? Have you ever just said, I know that time, I know that date, and I know some of you think, well, it's kind of fuzzy, it's kind of long, maybe it happened over seven years or maybe ten years, but have you ever just marked a date and said, this is the time that I trusted Jesus, this is the time that I gave Jesus my life? This is a time I no longer need to fear opposition, but I can trust Jesus. If you haven't, why not do it this morning? Why not use this morning as a time to mark, as a time to put on the calendar? And I promise you there's nothing that you have done that that can't be forgiven. There's nothing that you have opposed the cross, not too many times that your heart has been against the cross that that God can't transform you, because he can With God, Jesus told us with God, all things are possible. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and if you want to mark today as that day, if you want to put your trust in Jesus, and come talk to me or email me, and let's celebrate together. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to close with just this song. And I want you just to think as we are closing our time together, the number one question you have to ask is, do I trust Jesus? Have I put my faith in Jesus? Have I taken my life and put it in Jesus' hands? That's the first question you have to ask. And if the answer is no, well, let's do that, <laughs> right? Let's talk, and we can come up and come and meet me and talk, and Pastor Tim will be around. We would love to talk and share that with you. And if you say, yeah, I put my faith in Jesus. Yes, I trust Jesus. What are those things in life that scare you? What are those things that fear you? Maybe there's somebody, and God's put them on your heart, somebody you need to share with, but you say, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I'm comfortable. I'm, a, I'm afraid of what they might think of me. Do you trust Jesus enough to share the good news of Jesus with them? Are you seeking God's heart on a regular basis? Are you opening up his word? Are you praying to him? Are you seeking God? And are you trusting that as you grow closer to God that he will work through you and that his name will be glorified to everyone, everywhere. Let us pray. Lord, we trust that you are the sovereign God and that you are with us until the end of the age. We pray for opportunities that they would provide themselves, that you would give them to us, that we as your witnesses would have the ability to speak your word with power and clarity, and that we would be able to proclaim the awesome name of Jesus. And Lord, as we tell everyone everywhere about the awesome name of Jesus, Lord, we pray that you would get the glory, that you would receive the glory from everyone everywhere that you are due. Lord, you are awesome, and you are an awesome God, and you are a good God, and we love you. Amen. And church, let me just end you with a passage from Romans. Let me just end this. Romans fifteen thirteen. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Church, it was great to worship with you this morning, and I just want to encourage you to end with worship.